there was an article that blew my mind when I saw this. The, the title of this magazine was Tips on Performing Anal Sex was the, the um, title of the article. And the magazine of that article was Teen Vogue. It was Teen Vogue, which is a major publication. Major publication. So I'm thinking, because that's something your aunt or uncle would be like, oh, it's Christmas time. I'm going to get them a subscription. They're 13, 14. They see that. If the parent doesn't see it. Parenting styles. Authoritative versus permissive. Here from Hillary Morgan, a parent and former educator herself on the best communication tactics on speaking with your teen about all of those sensitive subjects. Peer pressure, drugs, alcohol, dating. So, let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat So as an educator, I'm sure you've had like a ton of back to school nights with parents and coming in to ask about their students. Do you see a clear communication line between the student and the parent? And how is that? Variable. So there are definitely those parents and those children that come in during back to school nights, they come in during parent nights, uh, open houses, all of those sorts of things. Um, and they are communicative. They are communicative with you, the educator. They are um, talking amongst themselves. You know, parents are, are invested uh, sometimes much to the detriment of uh, their, their child. Their child doesn't want them to be, even though internally they really do. But externally, you know, they're like, I wish we could have just stayed home. I wish you would have just stayed home. Yeah, defensive. Yeah, very defensive. Um, but more often than not, those are the, the kids and the parents that you don't need to reach in the same way. So mm. the students and the parents that you're actually trying to reach are the students and the parents that do not come. Um, the parents that are not as involved or, um, you know, the kids that can say, we don't need to go. I don't want to go. And the parents that are like, good, I didn't want to have to come home work from work early. So it's, it is variable where you have some of them that are, are really engaged um, or, or doing the right things, think that they're doing the right things. And then you have the parents that, that really aren't and they're sort of, there's that divide between home and yeah, school. they're not involved. Right. They expect like, you're the teacher, do the job, you know, we assume that you are. And, and sometimes as an educator, you're also the parent because the parent um, you know, is, is not doing the job. So it's, it's, there's so many variables depending on um, the home life in which the student lives. And to start with, say, the parents that have a communication line with you mm -hmm. because they want to be involved with their child, what have you seen work between them and their student? Do you think that their students are able to open up and have a clear dialogue on what's going on in their personal life? I know there's definitely limits with teens and in college, but do you, what is the healthy way? Yeah, um, so 
It, that's a loaded question in a lot of ways because you have, this is going to sound very stereotypical and almost like, you know, I sort of like, I know how it goes in each individual home and that's not the case, but working in education for long enough, you start to really realize all the variables of, of how each family might operate um, or, or how the, the options that it potentially could be. So you have um, parents that have a really crazy great relationship with their child. Um, they do things together. Their kid will tell you that she's my best friend. Um, and it's, it really does kind of go back and forth. But oftentimes those parents have stretched the boundary of parent and friend. So those sometimes are the parents that are, um, you know, allowing the parties at the, at the houses and as long as they're home and um, they know that the kids are safe and they took the car keys and whatever and they're providing the alcohol. Or you have um, very permissive parents. Very permissive. There, there's no like authority in their parenting. It's basically like a yeah, friendship. They're their best thing. friend. They're talking yes. about the nights out and all that. Yes. And, yeah. Right. Then you have the parents that are, um, you know, are like this. It's not my kid. I know, you know, it's not my kid. Um, it's other people's kids. And and I talk with my child, but I know that my child's not doing these things, which. I usually raise an eyebrow at yeah. uh, because that's not really um, relevant to truly what the relationship probably is. And then you have the parents that are, I'd like to think that healthy balance of um, the, the more of the authoritarian where they're like, no, you're not going to be drinking and no, you're not going to be doing these things. But their kid also values them in a way of like, sure, on the side, they're like, oh, my mother, like she won't let me go tonight. And they're all annoyed and they're mad, but they can sort of on a subliminal way recognize, understand, yeah. yeah, understand and recognize like, this is what parents do. She's trying to keep me safe. And, and in that fourth category, I mean, there's that fourth category of parents, then you have parents that are just completely absent and and have no dialogue with their their child. Their child is unfortunately neglected to a degree um, and have been raised morally absolutely neglected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they don't have they don't quite recognize those morals and values because they haven't ever been able to really see them or even be taught what those are. And those those are the kids that um, you know teachers are raising, really. Yeah, basically. And I want to get your thoughts on this because. I've always felt the authoritative parent is really that it's so much easier to start there and become more permissive as you go mm -hmm. rather than being permissive, allowing that parent or that student to have freedom, especially if you're thinking high school and college and then try to take back right. those freedoms because then you have a little bit of a mini revolt and that's a whole separate battle. And have you seen that also where, does that line stretch right now? Because I honestly feel with social media too, you have to have an uncomfortable dialogue, I feel like, to a, a high degree with the student because they're not talking to you about what's being posted, how they feel, what's going around and what's being shared and what they're looking at. And if you don't know that, it's probably not a good thing. And in today's world, it's like if you don't have those that dialogue with somebody or have them feel comfortable enough if something happens online because that can happen very quickly and completely ruin someone's life so quickly like that's a, obviously a bad thing but like i've always thought authoritative the way the way the way the way the way but what are your thoughts with right now with how things are and how people feel when they go and post like especially teenage girls it's out there that really they're the ones suffering the most right. Um, on social media because of 
the constant judgment and comparisons. So I got to think, I mean, maybe the way right now is maybe a bit more permissive than it is authoritative, but mm -hmm. you being a parent and an, an educator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you were a teacher and you already know these things. So we... I have both my parents are school teachers. So oh, I know okay. so uh, that's, the that... insights too, where the back to school nights, they, you know, the, they're like, oh, the one parent I needed to talk to tonight. Surprise, they didn't come, you know, so... Yeah. Um, so you, you see, you've grown up with that. You see some of that. Yeah, see, see a lot of it. And also too, like, get a good sense of the teacher perspective of, you know, you hear the kids chatter because mm -hmm. they, they they don't have any relation relation with you as like out of out of school. So they talk, especially the later years in high school and especially in college. Mm -hmm. In college, it's almost like the professors aren't even there. And they're talking about what they did last night, what they're going to do, who right. did what. And it's like, wow, wait a second. What is really going on? Yeah. So, so many things that I'll, I want to hit upon that you said. First of all, as, as an educator, that's exactly good educators. Um, that's how they start out their year. They are hard asses. They draw the line in the sand. That is the way it goes. And there's the expectations are across the board. And so as an educator, when, when I was an educator, um, because I just left 10 months ago, so I, I taught last school year. I was there until the middle of October. And as educators, like I start my classroom where like you know where I stand, you know the expectation and those expectations span the entire classroom. Sally doesn't get anything over Johnny. It's it, it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, you are my yeah. favorite or it, that's the way that it that it is. Then as we build relationships and we get closer, I can sort of relinquish some of that control yeah. because you already know what those expectations are. Um, but you also have more buy-in. You Like the student cares more about me. They don't want to disappoint me. They don't mm -hmm. want to upset me um, in generalities, of course. There's always exceptions to the rule. But I, I was a relationship-first teacher, so I wanted to build a relationship with you. I wanted to care about you and know about you more than just your name and number being written down on my roster. Um, and, and inevitably that's what we developed and that's what we built. So I could sort of pull back a little and relinquish some of those controls yeah. and, and you understand, understood the expectations because they never changed. I'm the very same way as a parent. I will want, my kid would tell you like, you do not cross my mother. I am the, I am never, ever the parent that when somebody calls and says, um, your child did, or your, you know, this is what we saw, you know, from your kid. Never the child or never the parent that says it couldn't that couldn't have been my kid. If she gets in trouble or she tells me there was an issue at school, school, I look at her and say, what did you do? Like, what part did you play in that? Yeah. Um, and I think not a lot of that happened anymore. No, so, no. And so a shame as an educator, I was an educator for 12 years. And, and one of the reasons I left is because I was wearing too many hats and I, I wasn't certified and qualified to wear half of them. You know, I was their parent. I was their, um, their social worker. I was their guidance counselor. I was their nurse. I was there. And, and yes, to a certain degree, educators take on these roles because they care in these ways, but it becomes taxing and overwhelming. And when you get a kid that you're like, I just cannot do for them what I know they need, um, that pulls on you as like, because we, teachers are caring profession. You know, we, we don't, we, we don't get it into it for the money. And so, yeah. you know, when we really are looking to make a difference and you really, you, you can only do that to a certain degree, depending on the, the clientele in which you've been, you know, given. And so watching the difference in education over the last 12 years, which is not that long, 
Um, it is insanity. The disrespect in the classroom, the blatant willingness to look me in the eye and tell me I'm going to fail your class so I can take it over again next year so it's not with you. Like, I mean, that I right before I left, that was what a student looked at me and said. And not because I was a bad teacher, not because I was a horrible person, um, but because I had expectations. You earn the credit in my class the way it's supposed to be. Um, and and I, I ask you to step up. I've set the bar here because I know you can reach it. And um, that was not how he was raised. That was never experiences he had ever you know been given. Um, so it was really sort of this abrasive piece. And we've lost a lot of a lot of that. We have, you know, we went from having helicopter parents, the parents that were like, I'm going to make sure, you know, yeah, watch yeah, over you and make sure everything's OK. We call them now lawnmower parents where they mow every problem out of the way before their kid ever hits it, mm. which means our kids are not developing resiliency skills. They're not developing problem solving and decision making. They're just developing manipulation tactics, M manipulation tactics that that if they can't solve it or if, if they can't manipulate themselves, they call their parents and, and their, parents, them. their parents come in and they, you know, with a heavy hand. And uh, I, I absolutely had a, a parent that said, I don't ever want one of my children in her class again. And that was because I refused to give him a free A. Yeah. So now let me also preface all of this by saying that I, this sounds like absolutes and it's everyone and all parents are bad and, and I am a parent. And so I, that is not at all what I mean. We still have incredible kids out there, incredible parents out there. They're doing their best, but the world is different and out of that parenting is different and children are being reared differently. Um, and so that's really hard. So, so the communication breakdown between educator and parent or educator and home and educator and student and parent and student um, because ultimately, a, a lot of times the parents will say, well, my kid knows, like they know how I feel about that issue. They know that I don't agree with underage drinking or they know, no, they don't. Not unless you've had that conversation with them. Um, sure, on the periphery, I'm sure that they're like, well, my mom probably wouldn't be cool if I, they, she knew I was going to have a beer. But if you've never sat down and said to them, like, this is unacceptable in this house, and here are the reasons why, that's the huge thing, too. I, I've never been the educator or the parent that's, that says, because I said so, ever. I'm Especially telling today, because kids will not accept today. Right. Even in the workplace or any place, if you just say, because I said so, it's, um, it's they do job, not. Because I'm the yeah. boss. No. They don't, they want an explanation. And I, t I teach my kids all the time, in any class, you have the right to ask a teacher, why, what is the purpose of what we're doing here? How is this going to benefit me or help me grow? Because you have the right to understand that. If you understand that, of course, you're gonna have more buy-in and be more willing to-, to Cause to, you understand why it's things. important. Yeah. Right. Um, you don't ever have the right to be rude and disrespectful or refuse you know, the work, but you have the right to, to clarify and ask why. And that's how I live my life with my own child. Like I will have a discussion with you all day long if you do not understand why I'm asking you to do whatever it is I'm asking you to do, students as well. But if if the parents are looking at it from a perspective of, well, they know because you know they know my values, like they've been raised under my roof, they probably do in a really low level subconscious kind of way, but not enough to make those decisions on their own when they're faced with peer pressure and their friends doing it and wanting to fit in. Um, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle it. And it also might not seem at that point that bad. Like, what's the big deal? 
you know, I know you don't love it, but what's the big deal? You were a kid yeah. once. Yeah, well, especially when they're in that moment where something's happening and it's like, oh, wow, this is just people actually doing this. It doesn't have like the dark, dramatic music behind it. Like <laughs> they show you in the ads when you're younger, like, um, and dare just say no. You know, they, there's not that like evilness to it. Mm -hmm. So it's just like happening. It's like, oh, like people are actually doing it. Right. Right. And they do it and they're fine or they do it and they're still productive or, you know, whatever rationalization that a kid needs to use in order to look at it in a favorable light. And that could be anything. Spe I, speeding. I had a student, a, a junior in high school who was eight times my size stand in front of me and be like, it was so cool over, over the weekend. I got this new car. We were on the interstate. There was no one around. It was 2 AM. I drove 90 down the interstate, but it was fine. It was safe because there were, I mean, there was no cars. Yeah, like who was yeah, like, yeah. and you know, after I picked my mouth up off the ground because he genuinely felt that and genuinely told me he would do it again. And me trying oh, to have geez. this conversation with him of like, you don't get it. You know, we, what about the wildlife that you can't predict? What about losing control because you get distracted yeah, or yeah. you go over the center line and you, you overcorrect or, I mean, there could be a host of things and their, <laughs> their prefrontal co cortex is not developed. Yeah. It is still developing until into their twenties. So you can't expect them to just know because you raised them. You have to have the conversations. Yeah, I, a good question for people like that, too, is um, just asking them, like, what if someone was doing that at the same time you were doing that? Right. Doing exactly what you were doing. Then you're in trouble. And if you feel like you're in trouble based off of somebody else doing your own behavior. <laughs> right. You know, right. maybe that uh, that resonates a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, you know, obviously they're not telling their parents that. Right, Absolutely because they know that they know the consequences, so they know it's wrong. Because mm -hmm. if they're not telling their parents that or saying that in front of them, so they do know it's wrong, they maybe just haven't felt the actual consequences yet of it. Right, and so part of that is because they're in, they're invincible, according to them. You know, I'm, nothing's I'm, happened yet. Not, yeah. Right, and I re I very clearly remember that being a teenager and thinking there's no way that if I do X, Y, and Z that I'm going to lose my life or I'm going to you know, be in trouble or what, whatever it might be, because there is that element of like, I, I am invincible and, and until it happens to me. But we had, right before I took the position as a state coordinator for SAD, we had a high school student who lost their life in a car crash. And many of these kids were best friends with them and it wrecked them wrecked for a them, long yeah. period of time until about two months later. And they went right back to their own habits and their own behaviors. Like it had never happened in the first place. And so you're like, how this could not have been any closer to you unless it had been you and you're still not making the right decisions. Um, you know, that's overly concerning. But, yeah. you know, they're not having those conversations at home with their parents. They're not. And I wonder, too, like, what is from your perspective too, being a parent and an educator? Mm. When do you think is the right time to have these conversations? Obviously, driving wise. Definitely, it's got to be before they obviously get the keys or when they get the keys is obviously a great time to have the conversation. But I think about other things than just driving, right? Like like premarital sex. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very subjective one where it's like, well, when? Because you don't you don't necessarily know when. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh, they turned 17 or 18. They're getting their permit. That's obviously when. It's like, when do you have a conversation with them? B, should you see like what level because it's almost like when you have that conversation, you're actually, whatever, however you say it and phrase it and your demeanor, 
you're almost being permissive on some things. Mm -hmm. You could be exposing like your lightness on if something were to happen, but at the same time, like still trying to enforce some sort of like, not consequences, but like to them consequences where it's like, I'm not going to ground you or anything if someone gets pregnant, but like you have to know, like this is a consequence that's going to affect you. And then you know, like, are they really going to feel it? Are they mm -hmm. really going to feel it? And I, it's just as important as, you know, talking with a, um, a boy and a girl about it, but it's almost like, I feel like you have to talk about it in completely entirely different ways. So wh what are your thoughts on an issue like that? Where how to like approach it? If like a parent's listening right now and going like, all right, yeah, I got like a couple teen daughters or a couple teen boys approaching that. It's on my mind. A lot of times I've taken the don't ask, don't tell policy mm -hmm. or the every once in a while you joke around or you, 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 see something on tv and you say something indirectly but to them mm -hmm. you know like like you you never have unprotected sex until marriage or the, you hear a lot that you don't have sex till marriage that's one that's like an indirect but like you know towards that person so what are your thoughts on some of that yeah so as a parent i will tell you that i was in in our group of like i have a daughter and she's 13 so she's not hugely old she just turned 13 um, but I was the parent who didn't have the conversations right away. Um, the parent that the other parents, especially because a lot of us had daughters, the other moms were having these over the top conversations with their child that I was a little bit horrified about. Like there's, there's gotta be a balance between keeping some like innocent hood in, in kids, sure. um, and not kind of, you know, Demonizing them. things, yeah, and, yeah, and propelling yeah. them into these conversations where they're not emotionally or you know cognitively ready to have these conversations. They're not even really mature enough to understand. So I think that that's different for every family, and I think that's different for every kid. Every kid, they have different maturity levels, absolutely. Um, but I was was definitely not having some of those conversations with my child when her friends' parents were. They were watching movies that I would have never. I am. It's gonna make me sound like I'm such a prude of a parent. My my daughter was never like, you can't watch, you know, PG-13 because you're not 13 yet. Like we were never that type of parent, but we definitely evaluated the whatever she was taking in. And sometimes it felt like some of this was a little bit much for my seven-year-old or my eight-year-old when other parents were like throwing them into watching these movies and and doing these things that that didn't feel to me, didn't as a parent, didn't feel quite right. So, so I think that's first and foremost of like honoring the fact that, you know, certainly every family has those innate values and, and, you know, have the right to make the, that decision. And there isn't necessarily a wrong decision. However, the older that a child gets, we see this in high school, the older that a child gets, the more definitive their habits that they've already created and curated from like, we'll even say like middle school, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, now they're a junior. They've had a lot of years, depending on the topic in which we're, we're discussing, um, to sort of cultivate those habits. Especially with the internet now. Especially with the internet now. Especially with the internet now. So when we are looking at, you know, these ideas of, um, habits that have already been formed, mindsets that have already been formed. I like that child or child. I mean, he, now he's, he's graduated and he's over 18, but that junior standing in front of me and saying like, I did this on the road and I'm going to do this again because it was fun and there was no reason not to, it didn't feel unsafe to me and trying to have those conversations with him. 
he he had already been driving for almost two years you know he had done these things safely because there had been nothing that had occurred and so me trying to to as an educator and somebody that he did look up to and i think did trust but trying to unravel all of that and say to him like that that actually is not okay that's actually not safe it that is so much harder than if you build those conversations from when it feels like it's an okay time and you you have these conversations that continue and grow um, my, you know, talking about like substance use and, and whether that be alcohol, vaping, you know, cannabis use or, or harder drugs, my 13, my 13 year old and I have those conversations often, but we didn't start where I was like, make sure you don't use angel dust or, like, yeah. make sure we, you know, don't take fentanyl. Like we didn't start there. It was very much the conversation around, well, I, let me back up as a parent you model the behavior that you want your child to be accepting of. So before you even have those conversations, your child's already learning those behaviors and habits from you. If you don't buckle your seatbelt in a car, they're not going to buckle their seatbelt in a car. And you might require them to do that by law, however old they are. But when they get into a car as an adult or a teen on their own behind the wheel, they are probably not going to replicate and and, uh, um, plug in their seatbelt because you don't. So, if you are drinking wine every night and it's laughed at and it's, you know, that's your coping mechanism um, and, and you're not getting drunk, but you're having like, you know, a couple glasses of wine every night and that's how you unwind and your child knows that, that becomes a, a socially and um, a social piece, like coping mechanism that's suddenly allowed they, uh, yeah, or, they... or accepted or not even allowed, but like, um, okay, like it's good. Um, so looking at your own behaviors and what it is that you're doing, especially if you're trying to impart these, these behaviors or these decisions on a more positive level to your kid, um, you have to take that into, into thought. Looking can, into account of like what you're currently doing. Right. And if you're following right. your own rules. <laughs> yes. So if you're texting while you're driving. Oh, it's a huge one. Yeah. And you're, and you're telling your kid, you know, you're going to be going for your license. I better never see your cell phone in your hand while you're driving. I mean, come on, man. Like they've watched you now for years with your cell phone in your hand while you're driving. And those subliminal messages are probably going to be more powerful than you saying it's okay for mom. Well, it's not okay for mom, but I do it anyway, but you should never do it. You know, it's very hard to come back from that. Right. So the idea of, of, you know, your own behaviors and how that plays into it. Um, but also to recognizing that your you don't have to start out with this heavy hitting conversation. Your kid is seven, eight, nine, ten. You don't need to you know jump full fledged into you know fentanyl, angel dust, all these like really big things. But you could certainly start talking about appropriate coping mechanisms and appropriate ways that you can maybe socially drink if that's what you feel you know that conversation should be. But also recognizing that it's, you know, your brain is still developing. And if you use these substances before the age of 21 or before the age of whatever allowance, then you are altering your brain, you know, and and it's more impactful for you than it is for me as a however you're old, because my brain is done developing, which is why it looks different for mom than it does for child. Yeah. And those conversations too it's a, like it was a really good point you said with like easing in you don't have to hard hit because i feel like a lot of parents just like they see something at home or or whatever and they really do that hard hit which like results in 
them just kind of like kind of stepping back because you're really then emphasizing like the consequences behind it mm -hmm. rather than starting with like maybe why it's not the way to do it and the permissive side of the parents i could say do a good job of like talking with their children about a lot of the things but almost in a way where it in, it enables when they're really on that far side of permit of the permissive scale like almost completely opposite of the hard authoritative where i remember growing up and the permissive parents the way they would even talk in front of their um the jersey accent right there wow that hit. It's been coming Talk. back since you've been here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I feel like since this morning, you've been further and further. Further in. down the... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, they, um, they would talk in front of their their child and student teen, like calling somebody, like, after they just get off a phone call or something, all oh, that F and B, you know? And then they would call other people that. And then the when they, there was heated exchanges, the most wild exchange you can see between a parent and a child is some is a parent who is very permissive in their parenting style. And then they try to lay down the law because what the kid says is wild, wild, because they'll say exactly what they've heard the parents say in front of them. And I've heard some exchanges, you're an F and B mom, blah, blah, blah. And then the mom is calling, I mean, it is, an exchange that is like you think is on like a episode of Mad TV or a Comedy Central with the mm -hmm. way that they're uh, talking to each other, but like you don't realize you're just like enabling things by doing things in front of them without ha drawing any line. Because then when you try to draw that line, man, that is just it is going to be a civil war. And you, um, you know, it's it's a those parents did know a lot more about their child's behavior a lot of the time and where they're going who they're hanging out with and things that were going on but it's it's like regardless of which style parenting you're still like kind of rolling the dice of like what that child is doing because they're going to be in the permissive style is really going to be more that child's going to be more in like scenarios of potentially being susceptible to think behaviors that like are not desirable but you'll know about them and that's like a two-way sword, mm -hmm. you know? And then if you're like too authoritative, you know, you're gonna come off as cold. You're not gonna have that warm relationship really, but that person is probably not gonna put themselves in those positions too many times to be really well behaved. Um, but in, t in today's world, I mean, there was, a, there was an article that blew my mind when I saw this, the, the title of this magazine was tips on performing anal sex was the the um title of the article and the magazine of that article was teen vogue it was teen vogue which is a major publication major publication so i'm thinking because that's something your aunt or uncle would be like oh it's christmas time i'm gonna get them a subscription they're 13, 14. They see that if the parent doesn't see it, and this was before like cell phones, because this was like, I want to say like around 2014, 15. So if you are not having that conversation, which granted, you would never think you'd have to have a conversation with your teen on anal sex. Mm -hmm. 
You do not think that. But that teen is seeing that. Now, that is their introduction to sex. If you have not, if you have not had a conversation with them first. Um, so I think of that. I'm like, damn, man, really, when should they be starting? At least a little bit because mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, you don't want your child seeing that stuff for the first time. They're obviously going to read it. They're going to tell their friends. And if your child's not having that magazine, their friend is going to tell them about that magazine that they saw, which is really wild. And now, I mean, the Internet is just even more wild that they get that quicker, faster and in more detail and not in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that magazine laying around in your house. You're obviously going to throw out and cancel it. But, like, they're getting that more on their phone where you can't really necessarily see it. So it's uh, wild because, like, drugs and drugs is kind of more of an obvious one that you would think people, okay, not do this, do this, do this. You got a lot of subjectiveness around alcohol. And some parents kind of do that. All right, like, I know they're drinking or I'll buy them a six-pack. They can stay here and drink it. Which is very well intended, probably going to be a safe night, but in the future, what are you creating on that? You know, and, so it's, it's, it's tough. Most states have social host laws and yeah. those social host laws say you get a fine, go to jail, whatever that might mean for, um, you know, if you are the host house delivering that alcohol to whomever and, you know, it's you hit upon a a bunch of things that I think are so super important because that idea of, um, and I meant to say this earlier when we, going back to our conversation in the very beginning, when you are, you know, kind of deciding what type of parent you want to be. And if you don't lay down the law, if you aren't somebody that is, you know, going to be strict and, and whatever, trying to do that after the fact becomes impossible. Like if I was that educator that was like, it's a free for all, sit where you want, do what you want, you know, listen to me if you want, have your cell phones out if you want. And then I got to a point where in December, I was like, I can't take it. Like they're driving me crazy. I can't teach my content. And then I decided to lay down the law. There's no possible way that I'm ever going to be able to rope them back in again. So, you know, certainly I I am a a heavy hitting parent. I am a heavy hitting, you know, um, educator, or I I was when I was in the classroom, but I, I did that with respect, love and boundaries. So again, there was never a time where they didn't understand why I was asking whatever I was asking from them. And so it really needs to be, you know, that relationship building if you're an educator, but also that relationship building as a parent. Like, I love you. These are the things that I expect from you because I want the best for you. And I recognize as a parent with lived experiences, all of the things that are going to harm you, whether that be you know, because you get in trouble, you're drinking on campus, you're not 21 and you get kicked out of the Navy ROTC program, whether that be because you are a high school student and now you can't play football because they found a joint in your bag, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that might be, being able to have those conversations, but doing it, doing it, you know, slowly with a buildup as your child ages, uh, but also in a way that is done with love and support so that they are going to roll their eyes. They are going to say like, oh, my mother or my father or whomever. Um, but they're also going to recognize that you are their safe place and that potentially they can come to you, you know, if they ever feel the need to. I would like to think I am I'm not the mother who thinks that my child's never going to be the one or never going to be in that position yeah. or might not ever, you know, decide on her own that she should be you know, involved in whatever. But I would like to think that if she ever found herself in some of those situations, that she would come to me and say, I didn't know what to do, or I felt really stuck, 
or this was the first time that I ever felt like maybe I should partake in this because my friends were partaking in it and it seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and at least have those open lines of conversation because censorship on all fronts, whether we're talking about like censoring books or whether we're talking about censoring these conversations with our child, um, you know, they're going to pick it up in Teen Vogue. They're going to pick it up in on their cell phone. And, you know, when we're talking about, well, I don't want my kid exposed to that, your kid's already exposed to that because there is no way that a parent in generality is as diligent with their safeguards on the social media and their, you know, their accounts and what their kid is looking at in a screen. You're not standing behind them 24 hours a day. 99% of you are letting your teen take your their cell phone to bed with them, which is absurd to me. My 13 year old does not have a cell phone. She is going into eighth grade. She will not have a cell phone at least until grade nine. I don't see the benefit from it. She does not have social media accounts. Now she has an iPad that she has full range of access as far as like YouTube and internet. So I know I'm, I, I'm try, I try to be aware. I try to be accountable as a parent for that, but I don't let her open herself up to all the other elements of having a TikTok account or having Snapchat, not only seeing the content that you know that you probably don't want your child to see, but also like the, the Snapchat accounts where there's insane amounts of cyberbullying on there because there's nothing saved. So I, it, it's hard, life is hard enough. Being a teen is hard enough. Middle school and high school is hard enough. Adding in those elements of, you know, cyberbullying that you can't see, control, manage, whatever, is just something that for me as a mom is heartbreaking to think that my child would also have to be dealing with that on top of all the other things. So in whatever way I can make sure that she's protected, not censored, you know, we talk about the, you know, does this book really fit what you think that you maturity level wise you want to interact with or this TV show or, you know what I heard what that YouTuber was saying and that's not appropriate yeah, in this yeah. house, please turn it off. Those things are very simple and easy to do and opens the lines of communication and conversation with your kids because they know you're aware, they know that you're watching um, and, and, and that shows an element of the fact that you care. Yeah, do you, do you think... Um... How comfortable do you think, uh, I'm going to go way personal on this, okay. way personal, be as honest as you're, you're good with. What level of confidence, based off of your relationship with your, your daughter, if she's in a tough situation where she's weighing the options of, okay, I know my mom doesn't like this, there's going to be a consequence, but I should call her and tell her anyway. What, le what level of confidence do you think you have that she would make that phone call and it be a hundred percent truthful in that conversation. Cause I, cause a lot of times what I've seen kids will make a phone call or say, it, but omit 99% of things, mm -hmm. usually their actions of part of it, mm -hmm. you know, which is like very ironic because it, especially it's going to come back. So they'll, they'll make the phone call and then the parent will come pick them up and they'll think they're good, but then things come out. Um, yeah. I think for my child, I, I would like to hope and think that I've instilled some major values and ethics in my kid. <laughs> she's a hard, she's a hard kid. She's a spirited child. She, it is her way or the highway. She wants control. Um, you know, she, she's a hard kid to parent. 
with that comes a pretty high level, I think, of her own feelings of ethics and responsibility. She is the very first kid ever to stand up and say, that is not okay if somebody's being made fun of at school. See, that's awesome because that, you know, is a symptom that they will do the right thing in those situations when they're doing them in front of you like that and actually standing up. That is actually really awesome to hear that you can have a high level of confidence of her in that because she's demonstrated it already Mm -hmm. without you like providing like uh, positive reinforcement if she does. Like it's just in, in her. Right, because I'm it. not there to even see it. Yeah. So she's not doing it for the praise or like, hey mom, you know, she's doing it because she knows that's right. That's the right thing to do. Now, I'm also, like I said before, I am not the mother that thinks my kid is golden and never makes mistakes or ever has challenges. So do I think that, I think if it's an ethical, you know, dilemma for her, she's going to be much more willing to sort of be like, you know, no, like this is not what we do. This is not what I do. This is not what my family does. Um, but if she, if it's something that she, um, thinks maybe isn't as attached to ethics or values, maybe is something that, you know, like, I just wanted to see what it was like, mom. And I just tried one puff of a cigarette, like that sort of thing. If I'm being honest and truthful, I don't know that she would definitively come right out and say, yeah, I did that. Um, because I think there's also the, well, I think two things. I think she might be afraid of the consequences. She might be, you know, she's a kid. Of course she's going to make mistakes. Of course she's going to have errors in judgment. Like this is what they do. This is how they learn. This is how they grow. But I think that there might be a play in, you know, she doesn't want to get the consequence. She doesn't want to be recognized in that way. But I would also like to think it's because she really values my opinion of her. She doesn't want to lose the respect. And she doesn't want to lose the respect and know that I'm disappointed. And ultimately, I would very much tell her I am disappointed. You know, I don't hide that from her. If, if I think she can do better in school and she doesn't do well in school, she's very bright. Um, then I'm the first one to tell her I'm very disappointed with this. This is not you. You have capabilities greater than this. I expect to see that next time. But I'm... I. I'm not the parent that shuts it down and is like, this is awful. You're bad. Like, how could you ever, you know, trying to balance it. So if she thinks that there's no like real value attached to it or, or ethic attached to it, she might not be forthcoming because she's a kid and she is still trying to figure things out and trying to have fun in life and do it in a way that, you know, she can do this with her friends and whatever her friends are making for decisions. But she, I'm trying to raise a leader, not a follower. And I'm trying to get someone to I'm trying to get her to look at life in a way of, um, you know, if you if this is not something that makes you comfortable, if you feel like this is wrong, if you feel like something doesn't jive or or it doesn't fit where you want your life to be or take you, you have the right to either say no. You are powerful. You have your own abilities to to look at somebody and be like, this is not okay or this is not for me. Um, and I think empowering our kids with the idea and understanding that. You are just as valuable as I am. And you, I, growing up, I never, ever, ever felt that I had the right to say anything. An adult always ranked over me. That's how I was raised. I said, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. I apologized if I spoke. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's true. If I spoke out of turn, you know, I, I could not really be my own person with an adult respectfully. Um, And with my own kids, I'm trying very hard to get them to understand that, you always have to be respectful. You have to be respectful, but you do never, ha- you never have to stay in a situation that you feel is disconcerting, not right. Um, and you always have the option and the ability to ask why. 
So whether that be your teachers, respectfully and kindly, whether that be, you know, your friends, whether it be another adult, I want you to know you have the power to, um, to stand up. Well, that's a great point to the options wise, like you have options because a lot of people don't really think that they have other options. When somebody says, well, I'll tell your parents or something, or your parents will find out, or it could be in anything, like in any job too, when there is always the second option, it just, it may come with a consequence and that may be a better option, really. Because people think, oh my God, that'll happen. Well, that might not be the end of the world. Probably not gonna be the end of the world. Right. But we immediately jumped at with that unconscious feeling that I can't go that route. Mm -hmm. I can't. When it doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. in life, anything, you always have at least two options. Even if the two even if that second option is exactly. horrific, it could be even like losing your job or anything, it's still an option. Mm -hmm. It is. Um yeah. might not be the one you ideally wanted to, but it might be better in the long term than that's why I appreciate that, uh, Thawne. Thank you so much for answering that very personal question. You did very well on that because I was, um, it makes so much sense because you instill it, you watch, they demonstrate, you have confidence, and then like, you know, you, you establish probably a better relationship because you can start to be more permissive, which I think is like, maybe the ultimate goal is starting at that mm -hmm. authoritative state and then like, by adulthood, you're all the way on the other side of the permissive side because now, like, they're older. You can you can bullshit with them. They mm -hmm. they are truly mm -hmm. your best friend. You know, almost like at the school year, back to your educator, where the very first day you're authoritative. By the end of the school year, you know you're talking about next year and their personal life and stuff like that, and really establishing that. So that, um, thanks so much for everything. Yeah. I appreciate you have, um, having you on and everything. This is. This is awesome. Getting a parent's point of view is really... Yeah. And, and ultimately what it boils down to is our kids really want to matter. They want to matter to you. They want to matter to their community. They want to matter to their schools. And when you instill that sense of mattering, like you can stand up, you do have a voice, you do have power. Um, you know when things are right and wrong and use that and, you know, have these conversations with whomever you feel the need to respectfully then they are much less to reach for those destructive decisions. They're much less to decide to have the drink on the weekend or to speed down the interstate or, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z might be, have, you know, unprotected sex or premarital sex or, or whatever that looks like for them or for, for their family. And, um, you know, showing them that you, that you care as a parent and giving them the power to understand that, that you value them as a human and, and those conversations define that, those conversations support that, then I think that's ultimately the best that you can possibly do as a parent. And just, yeah. you know, you made a mistake, pick yourself back up, here's your consequence, and we're gonna continue having the conversations and we're gonna try this again. And, you know, rinse and repeat over and over and over again as your kids grow to, to get them to understand those values and ethics for your own family. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, That's the goal, and I'd love to, um link up back with you down the road and see how everything's going. Here's you know? hoping it's all positive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it will be. It's a, it's a great track, great mindset. And I um, appreciate all this. Hopefully people can walk away with this going like, okay, that's actually some really good points I should apply because it's more of a light approach, but early mm -hmm. rather than late and heavy. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Hillary. We'll, we'll see you down the road. Perfect. Thank you so much.